morning, church. Who's excited to be here this morning? All right. This crowd over here has got me. Y'all better do better. I tell you, um, it's exciting to me to see us launch new campuses like Pooler because that means that we get to have the opportunity to share the gospel and bring light into dark communities around us. And it's cool to me about Pooler is because it's, it's so different than what we've done. Um, God led us there um, because Michael and them moved there. And uh, God just kind of, he just said, man, I'm going to start a small group. There's nobody here. And what's crazy is that small group turned into a small church in about six months. And so something that we didn't intend to happen, happened. So we want to be the people that listen to God and do what he says. So we just made that step. So that's the only place we've planted so far where the pastor wasn't, home, wasn't a homeboy, didn't grow up there. And so um, I'm, just, I'm just excited to see what God does in, in that. And what I love about our church when we plant these campuses, it makes us realize we're not just isolated. We're part of a movement. Amen? We're part of something bigger than ourselves, that bigger than this little community. We're, we're attached to the kingdom of God, and it helps me gain a biblical perspective and keep my eyes on the prize. Amen? And, and what I love about just kind of a movement is something that um, I wanted just to, to tell uh, my godly women up in here today is that there's a nationwide um, call to prayer for biblical womanhood, okay? Um, it's going to, West, if you want to be a part of it, actually go to a location and pray, West Midland Baptist Church, um, October the 9th from 5 to 6. They're going to have a, a, a focused prayer just praying um, for, uh, along with all, all churches all over the country, praying for just godly women. For women to rise up and to be made in made new and to and to take on the, the ownership of being a godly woman. So um, if you're interested in that, if you can, if you can't make it, then um, there's a lot of churches along here, that's do, along the community that's doing it in Bullock County, Scriven County, um, Burke County, Manuel County. There's churches that are doing this, but also if you just take some time and pray for that. Pray intentionally for that. And if you can join West Midland, that'd be great. It's showing that we're being unified with our other churches in the community. So I just want to bring that to you this morning. Who knows that we need some godly women in the world? Amen? Got to pray for it. So if we're going any further, let's pray and let's dive in. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Father, for how much you love us. God, we thank you so much that you are awesome, Lord, in all of your ways, God. You're perfect in all of your ways. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. And God, I just pray that you would touch us today in a, in a, in a radical way, that we wouldn't just be doing church from this moment on, but God, that you would fill us, that you would move in us, that you would radically change us. God, I pray for the person that's been in church their whole entire life. God, I pray that you would show a new thing to them this morning. God, revive us today. Don't let us just be a, a stagnant people. God, help us be people that thrive and that are addicted to you and your word, God. And God, start today. Move today. Let this moment be the moment. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all get me fired up. Y'all kind of talking a little bit this morning. Y'all don't know what direction we may head. But, you know, we've been going through this series called uh, A Better Story, where we're talking about having our identity in Christ, okay, and, and what, what it truly means. And I want you to understand that having your identity in Christ, that is so important. Because if your identity is not wrapped up in Jesus Christ and who he says you are, then you listen to what everybody else says you are. And you walk in defeat when you are meant to walk in victory. 
We walk with our head down instead of realizing we got a Savior that died for us so that we can have life and have life more abundantly. Last week, um, we talked about what the sore spots in our life, those things, those events that happen to us that, that cause, it rubs us, that, that when somebody says something to us or, or we, we, uh, we see that person or we're reminded of that time in our life, it brings back all those emotions because we really hasn't, haven't dealt with the issue. Amen? You with me? And I asked you guys to write your story out. How did I get here type story? Had a guy in my connect group, he texted me, he's like, hey, man, we ain't going to read these, all." I was like, no, nah, brother, just be your start. We ain't going to read it. And so uh, I just challenge you guys, if you haven't done that, that's probably the first step in healing is to admit that there's something happened, to admit that there was a problem so that you can change that. Amen? And you can't change it on your own. You got to admit where the problems are so that you can ask God to change and heal those problems. And so we wrote, wrote, wrote our story out, and, and I know a lot of you have been dealing with some stuff because I've talked to some of you, and it's like, man, we're right on time. You know, you're dealing with stuff, and it's like, you know, I've, I've identified all this stuff, and you're kind of panicking. It's like, I realize I'm jacked up. What do I do? Well, what's the next step? And, and I want you to understand, as the next couple of weeks go by, we're going to help you unpack those things. But a lot of us feel stuck. You ever felt stuck? I'm, I'm, let me hang in. All right, then. I mean, you, you, you're doing stuff. You're, you're doing the right things. You're trying to follow God. You're, but you just feel stuck. You want to feel better. You don't want to be defined by the divorce. You don't want to be defined by your addiction. You don't want to be defined by whatever. You don't want that, but, but you don't know how to get over that. You just feel stuck. And I think if all of us were honest, some of us... All of us in this room are stuck in one area of your life or another. And some of you are just, y'all, show, y'all, y'all, y'all so stuck that liquid plumber ain't going to help you out. The Holy Spirit's got to get in there and do some work. But you got to let him. Amen? We come to church, we sit, and we say, amen, let's work, God, let's work. You know what? We leave here and we forget everything we just said. We got to take this home. Amen? We got to apply it. So just knowing that we're stuck isn't enough. We have to truly let the Holy Spirit move in us and, and change us. And, and so an example of, of being stuck is just, have you ever had a situation just got, went from bad to worse? I mean, it's just, man, it's like, God, you spoke, hey, amen. God, you supposed to just change. I, I'm starting to follow you, God, and now look what's happening. It's supposed to be sunshine and rainbows. But I have been walking through hell. Ever since, I said I wanted to follow you. That's what it's like. Now, come on. I, I, I don't know if I want this. Have any of y'all had that, that thought? Amen. And so a lot of us get stuck in, in, in the struggle of life and realize that, that God's trying to change you. And when there's growing pains, it's not fun sometimes. Sometimes we're just, we're just plain stuck in the, thinking there's no end in sight. I'm not going to get any relief from this situation. A lot of times we're in there, it's because we're so hard-headed, we're trying to do it ourselves instead of letting God do it for us. Some of us, were stuck in things. As they get bad to worse, they keep getting worse because we're not doing anything to change it. Some of us are stuck in situations to where we are so hopeless that it doesn't seem like there's any light at all to shine on it. 
And you may be stuck in something I hadn't even called out, but God knows exactly where you are. You know, we've been reading through the story of Joseph. And, and so it's, it's cool to see how God used Joseph because he went through some jacked up stuff. He had some truly jacked up stuff help happen to him through his life. And this morning, we're going to read through some things. Um, y'all going to have to bear with me. Russ is going to have to bear with me. We're going we're gonna to try to cover four chapters in about five minutes. And y'all know I can't read that fast. <laughs> but the, what I love about Joseph is that God, for some reason, I know why, but for some reason, he kept his eyes on the prize and not in his circumstances. Amen? And so that's the key to all of this. But let's, let's read and see how bad Joseph's life is. Because, you know, we always say, oh, this might have been bad, but it ain't as bad as me, right? It ain't as bad as what I'm going through. You ever had that conversation with somebody? You're telling somebody that you're struggling, and they can't, they're trying to butt in on you to tell you how bad theirs is. And you're like, you just shut up. This is my moment. And y'all had that? Let me tell you how bad I am, and then you can tell me how bad you are tomorrow because today's my day. You ever had that time, that, that feeling? Sometimes we just got to listen. I promise I wasn't going to spit on you, man. You didn't have to move from the front view. I love my front view, folks. Thank y'all. So Genesis chapter 36 starts out like this. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zephah. That may or may not be correct, but anyway. His father's wives, and he brought their fathers a bad report, and he brought his fathers a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more, about, more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him, a special robe for him. This, this robe was to show him how much he loved him, how much he cared about him. They put him up on a pedestal. Verse 4 says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Joseph was just being Joseph and his daddy. He had favor in his daddy's eyes, and so all his other brothers despised him. And so what happens next is that Joseph began to have dreams. So you already got a group of people that hate your guts, and now you start telling them what God's telling you. God's, God's saying that Genesis 37 is where I was at. Yeah, some of y'all look at me confused. I said 26. Oh, I'm sorry, 37. <laughs> even, even Russ is like, what, what, what? Hey, if I do that again, somebody say, hold up! Great to say that I'm human and I mess up. But anyway, Joseph started having these dreams, okay? And, and so he starts having these dreams about how he don't know how to process these dreams. He don't know what these dreams mean. He's got to tell somebody. So he started telling his family, look, I'm going to be, God, God's saying that, that, you know, pretty much that I'm going to be serving, you're going to serve me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, I don't know about, about right now, but I'm kind of going to be a big thing one day. And so as he begins to tell his brothers, jealousy begins to, to fester in them. They get even more angry with him. They get even more upset with him. Their insecurities begin to increase until the point to where they just hate him so much they don't want to even be in the sight of him. You ever, you ever been around somebody like that? No hands now. Y'all don't want to admit nothing. 
So anyway, verse 12 says, 37, 12 says, Now his brothers had gone to gaze, graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Shechem, sorry. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. He said, very well. He obeyed his father. Knowing that his brothers got all this junk against him, he goes anyway, okay? So we're going, and so his brothers saw him coming. We're going to skip some verses so we can cover a lot of territory, but y'all just stay with me. As his brothers saw him coming, they were like, he's by himself. Here comes that fool. This is my translation, okay? This is how I'll be thinking. When he gets here, we're finna drop him. We ain't going to worry about it no more. Daddy, Daddy loves him when he loves us. We're going to see what he thinks about that robe. When he gets in, it's done. I'm tired of putting up with it. I'm tired of seeing it. We're going to end this today. And they begin to figure out how they're going to plot to kill Joseph. You know, there's some things we go through that we just don't want to deal with no more. We just want to get rid of it, whether it's somebody or something. It's a lot of reason why we push people out of our lives. Because it's easier to get rid of them than to deal with the issue inside of us. So anyway, so verse 16, or verse 17, the end of it says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when he saw them from a different distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes his dreamer, he said. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into this, this cistern. And we can say that a ferocious animal killed him, devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of this dreamer. And then his older brother, Reuben, came to rescue. He said, look. He tried to rescue him from the hands. He says, look, take, let's take, let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here and we will in the wilderness, don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said. This to rescue him from the hands of his brothers and take him back to his father. So when Jacob came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe that he was wearing and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Galeed. Their camels were loaded with spices, bomb, and myrrh, and they were on the way to Egypt to take them to there. And I'm going to stop right there, but as, as it continues to go, what the, the story happens is that they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, and then Joseph didn't do anything wrong, did he? He was just being obedient. And then it, because of the damage that happened to, their brother, to the brothers, they got rid of the problem. And so they got rid of the problem the problem wasn't Joseph, the problem was them because their identity was based on how much their father loved Joseph more than them. They, they thought they were sons of women that their father never loved. Their whole, they, they just had that whole daddy complex they didn't have. And so what happens next is they sell him, in, they sell him into slavery and he is taken away. Chapter 39, he shows up in Egypt. He says, now... Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard, brought him from the, bought him from the Israelites who had been taken there. 
And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him to care for everything he owned. So here he goes from, he's from a pit, and now he's finally found favor in somebody's eyes, and now he's, he's, he's living a better life. He's still in a bad situation. He's still in a bad circumstance. But he says that God was with him. God was only with him because his perspective was still on God. His eyes were still on God. Through all this junk, his eyes are still on God. And so what happens next is, is that he's, he's head over all of Potiphar's household and all but Potiphar's wife sees him. It says in, in verse uh, 6, it says, Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With, when he, when, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He didn't say sin against my master. He said God. His eyes were still fixed on God. Even though this temptation was there. Even though he, he was like, you know, this could ruin me. She could say whatever, and this could ruin me. But you know what? My eyes are fixed on God. Even in every circumstance, his eyes are fixed on God. What happens next? She lies on him. They throw him in prison. He's back in a pit. And then, then I'll just paraphrase the rest of the story. The, the, he's in there, the, the cupbearer and the uh, baker to the king was in there, to the Egyptian king was in there, and then to the Pharaoh, and they were in there in jail with him. They begin to have dreams. Nobody knows how to, how to tell these dreams. God gives Joseph the dream. He tells the baker that, hey, man, when you get out here, you ain't going to make it. And he tells the cupbearer that you're going to be restored. What happens? Just like Joseph had predicted, just what God told Joseph. He gets out, the baker gets executed, and the cupbearer gets raised up to his position. Joseph said, hey, when this happens, don't forget me. Don't forget me. What happened? They forgot him. He stayed in prison. He did the right thing, but he stayed in prison. And, and so all through this, I imagine his emotions were all over the place. He felt like he was doing the right thing, but he was getting punished. I imagine he felt all these different emotions. But let me tell you, your emotions will lie to you. Amen? So what happens was the king started having issues. The pharaoh started having dreams, and, and nobody could figure it out. And all of a sudden, they remembered, oh, there's a man in jail. He told him about Joseph. He brings him out. Joseph tells the king, the pharaoh, what, um, what the dream means puts him in command right below Pharaoh. Nobody in the kingdom is greater than Joseph except for Pharaoh in order for Joseph to be the savior, to save the people from famine. God's word's true, amen? Fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled. And so, so as this whole thing is going on, Joseph's struggle was for 20 years. 
Okay, it started at age 17. 20 years long was this battle. And we want God to change our situation tomorrow. Somebody, you're like, that is not encouraging. <laughs> the thing is, he was 17 years old. 13 years he was, he, he, from when he was bought and brought into slavery to when he got out of jail. 13 years. And then it was a, he served seven years until he got reunited with his family. So I'm here to tell you, God uses our circumstances to change us. And let me tell you, even though your circumstances may not change, your mindset can. And that's where the battle begins, is in your mind. You got to make up your mind to serve God no matter if you feel like it or not. Amen? And so God was, was using that. And as I began this week thinking about where a lot of you are in this room, most of us look at that story of Joseph, we're like, that is unattainable. I would have quit. I would have I died. I would have I left. I would have broke out of jail. But Joseph stayed true. And as a, a lot of us are, are just like a lot of other biblical characters in the Bible. Some of y'all are a lot like Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi was, she was, she was with her husband. She was, doing, she was doing the right thing. She was okay. Life was great. And then all of a sudden, catastrophe struck. She lost her husband and both her boys. And in those days, your identity as a woman was based on your family. If you didn't have a man to take care of you, you were poor. And you were in destitute. You are in bad shape. So everything her life was built on was now crushed. And she, now she, Naomi's sitting there, and, they, and, and, and she's so bitter about it. And in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, they, Naomi, they go back to, to Bethlehem, her and Ruth. Go, Ruth is her daughter-in-law. They go to, to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, they're like, is that Naomi? And Naomi, the word Naomi means, means pleasantness. She was a pleasant woman. Is that is that pleasant Naomi? And Naomi's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't call me that because I left here full and, I, and God brought me back empty. Don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, change my name to Mara. See, a lot of us are like Naomi. We've allowed our circumstances to rename us. You were one thing, but now you think you're something else because you've allowed your circumstances to dictate everything that you think about life. You think about that's, that is what has consumed you. Some of you have went, you ain't physically went to the courthouse and changed your name yet, but you might as well have because she was stuck in the death. She was stuck in, in the insecurity. She was stuck in feeling like she would never be good enough without the, her husband. She was stuck right there, but yet she chose to remain stuck. She's like, I'm going to permanently change my name tomorrow. Some of y'all have, have, have chose to live so long in bitterness, so long in discontentment, so long of feeling like you're not going to be good enough that you have been identified by everyone else as that. That tracking with me? If you treat yourself like you don't, you're not good enough so long, everybody else is going to start believing it. It's time for some of you to stop changing your name and you remember what you were called to begin with. Amen? Some of us choose to live that way. And I thought about Esau, how Esau was, no doubt, he was sinful, but, but Esau had done the right thing that his father asked him to do. His father said, it was time to give Esau his blessing. And, and, and so... 
as, as it was time to give him his blessing, he, his father said, all right, I love this porridge. Go, go kill something, bring it back, and I'll bless you. He said, yes, sir. He took off. And while he was gone, his family deceived him, and his younger brother got the blessing. And in those days, the blessing was everything. It was, it was, his, it was his future. It was his prosperity. It was, it was his position. It was everything. And, but yet, it got crushed by deception. And, and he got back. He was so distraught. He was like, you got to give me something, Daddy. I mean, give me something. You got to bless me with something. He said, son, I done gave you, brother, everything. He said, Daddy, give me something. And I think his daddy gave him the best thing. Now, as you read, as you read the, the verse, as you read it in, in God's word, it seems like it's a curse, but it's really a blessing. It says, look, your, your brother's going to rule over you. You will live your life every day by the sword. But this is my favorite part. He says, but when you decide to remove that yoke from your neck, then you will no longer be in bondage. He said, look, it looks bad right now, but you've got to decide not to allow this point in your life to define who you are. And there's a lot of us in this room, we've got to decide not to allow the past to dictate who we are today. Amen? We can't, and you've got to make that decision right now. Not to allow that to happen. And then take steps in order to keep telling the past to shut up and get behind you. So many of us walk in that. The first step, guys, to get unstuck is you've got to decide that you've been where you are long enough. You've been unsatisfied. You're not satisfied from where you are. Amen? And some of y'all might not be stuck in a bad place as far as your, as far as your past. Some of you may just be stuck spiritually. Like, God, I want more. I want more. Make up your mind that you want more and, and take the necessary steps. Amen? So a lot of times we're stuck and all we want to do is complain. All we want to do is moan. Oh, I'm horrible. Woe is me. And I had one of those moments. And, 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 and I didn't want to hear it, but I had a good friend of mine say, look, you've made your life here lately all about the struggle. And you need to hush. I'm tired of hearing it. And I was like, you see this elbow right here, boy? <laughs> but it's a reality. If we're not careful, we allow things around us to define who we are, and our life is all about the struggle instead of realizing the struggle's made to make us who God wants us to be. Amen? And so a lot of us are stuck. We're stuck in the mud. We're, we're just we're bogged down by life, and we've got to allow God to throw us the chain and pull us out. Amen? Y'all picking up my redneck terminology? Anybody, anybody ever been stuck in the mud? Huh? Anybody, huh? Been stuck in the mud? You get, anybody been so stuck, there's no way you're going to get out unless you got to come and get two tractors and a helicopter to pull you out. Some of y'all that way right now with your life of the Lord. But you got to, you got, but the thing about being stuck is you're going to keep your pedal to the floor. And you're going to keep going backwards and pulling forward, trying to do it yourself until you realize there's no hope. I'm not going to get out. I need to just stop and phone somebody. And I hope today is the day that some of y'all stop going backwards and forwards and you pick up the phone and you say, yo, Jesus, I need some help. Y'all with me? Because that's what we need to do. We've got to quit trying to do it on our own. Our mindset has to change. How do we change our mindset? I'm glad you asked. Number one, we have to trust God's voice. You got to trust God's voice. If you're a note taker, write these things down because I'm going I'm to put these on, on the doorpost in my house 
You have to listen to God's voice. See, God spoke a dream. God spoke to Joseph. And that is all Joseph had to hang on to through all that stuff. I remember what God told me. I remember in the dungeon, I remember what God told me. When, when, when he was in Potiphar's house and he didn't do nothing wrong, he's like, I, I know what God told me. I had to keep going back. That's why God's word is so important, Christian, so that we go to God's word and we know God's word is true. Amen? And so we got to go to his word and, and listen and understand. See, God's given his word and he speaks to us through his word. There's a lot of you in here been like, you know, God ain't speaking to me. You know why? Because you ain't reading his word. You start reading that word, guess what? He's going to start talking to you. So it's time for you to, mm, it's time for you to stop complaining and pick up the word. Amen. Time for you to quit trying to let Dr. Phil fix you and let God fix you. Turn the TV off, huh? Turn turn the internet off. Google don't know how to help you. Okay. Give it to God. Give it to God. God's word is true, and you have to go to God's word. Stop going to your mother-in-law and saying, "Hey, can you help me with my wife?" No, God can help you with your wife. Well, yeah, I know. But God speaks through this. See, everything goes back to identity because if your life is not centered on Christ, if your identity is not in Jesus, then you're going to go to everybody else instead of to the one that can help you. Amen? See, God's true, God's word is true even, even when our circumstances are lying to us. God's word is true, church. Even when we don't feel like it, it's true. And until we understand that who we are is in Christ, then you will never trust God in those bad situations. You will never trust God in those bad situations. I mean, I just want to tell you, it's tough. Life won't make sense if your life is not centered on the gospel. Because if your life is centered, if your identity is in what other people think of you, that changes every day. And so you're, you're, you're doing this emotional roller coaster. I know. I just had to jump off of it. Enough's enough. The last couple of years, I've been riding a roller coaster of people's expectations, and I'm like, I'm like that chicken in the frying pan at the fair. You ever seen that? He's just hopping. He's hopping in the frying pan. His feet's hot. He's just jumping. He's just jumping. And eventually, I'm, just, I'm thinking, why did the chicken jump off? Because he didn't know he could. There's a lot of you in here that need to know that you can jump off of this roller coaster you've been riding all these years. You just got to, to give it to God. And some of y'all have got this look like, they got that at the fair? <laughs> I caught you. But the thing is, we got to realize that our identity is in God. And when we don't realize, when we realize that, then we won't worry about making sense of everything else. The second thing we got to do in order to change our mindset is we have to be secure in who God says we are. Amen? You got to be secure in who God says you are because the world's going to label you all kind of things. But the only thing that matters is the label that God hangs on you. And so we got to make sure that. See, when we're secure in who we are in Christ, then we're like Joseph. Even though we lose position, even though we are financially lose our finances, we may lose our popularity, none of that junk matters because we are identified by Christ. That's why so our identity is so important. If your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, if, if the job leaves, man, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bologna and biscuits for a month. It's going to be bad. But you know what? It ain't the end of the world. 
Because Jesus Christ is, 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 my, is my sustainer. He's what everything is centered on, not the almighty dollar. If you step out at work and you, and you witness and you tell people about Jesus, the next thing you know, you're by yourself at a lunchroom table. That ain't a big deal if your identity is on Jesus. But if it's on your popularity at work, you're going to be upset. You see what I'm saying? You got to realize, you got to be secure in who Jesus says you are. And when we're not, when, you got to realize when we're not in that, we respond like the brothers every time. We allow our circumstances to drive us, and we look for the approval, we look for love in any way we can, even if it means hurting other people. See, the brothers, they responded to their circumstances because they didn't understand what love of the Father meant, felt like. So they were seeking affirmation. They were seeking all these things, trying to fill a void in their heart because they were broken. See, a lot of us allow our circumstances to shape us and define us. And we're so insecure. We're so insecure. I want to tell you what God's Word says. Everything that happens in our life must be filtered through God's Word. Amen? Who does God say you are? God says this. God says in His Word, He says you're valuable. He says you're chosen. He says you're dearly loved. Ooh, amen. Somebody need to shout. I'll tell you what. Let me get a little exercise in here. Y'all ready? Y'all with me? Half of you. If this speaks to you, if, if that speaks to you, say amen. amen. Every time. If, it, if, it's, if it's you, so praise the Lord. Praise the Lamb. Say something. That's me. Say something. All right? All right. So Jesus says this. God says you're valuable. God says you're chosen. God says you're dearly loved. Oh, I like this. He says you're new. You're new, huh? It ain't about the old you. He says you're new. Some of y'all need to be shouting. Ooh, you're new. Amen? It ain't about who you used to be. You're tra- you will be transformed. All right? You're struggling with sin right now. You will be transformed. Don't, don't worry about why you ain't perfect right now. God's going to transform you. That's what he said about you. Amen? He says you have my spirit. Word says you are free from condemnation through Christ's death. He says you can do all things through Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what we have to do. See, the third thing we have to realize how we get stuck, how we change our minds, is that we have to realize that God's working even when we feel stuck. See, a lot of us, a lot of you in this room is like me. I can't stand to sit still. And y'all can't all relate. I can't stand to sit still. If I sit still, I feel like I ain't doing nothing. I was telling Brandon one day about how I felt that way, and Brandon's like, look, resting is doing something. I was like, yeah, so says the lazy man. And he was like, no, seriously, you need to rest. You know, but I, I, I can't stand to sit still. And so there are a lot of us are that way. If we feel like there's no progress being made, we feel like something's wrong. So you got to realize that sometimes God allows us being stuck to change us. He's working. See, Joseph was stuck. He was stuck in his trials. There was no way out of this 20-year struggle, but through the whole struggle, God was working in Joseph. He was using the pit to prepare him for the palace. Amen? That should give you courage today. That should encourage you today. Every bad thing that was happening in Joseph's life was preparing him to lead the people through the famine. 
See, God uses all the bad stuff in our life. All, all the evil that happens to us, all the bad stuff that happens, he uses those things to mold us into what he wants us to become. Amen? So the perspective we need to have in this situation, the mindset is like, God, I feel stuck right now. I don't know how to change, but God, show me what I need to learn from this situation. God, I'm broken right now. I'm hopeless right now, but God, show me what I need to learn in this situation. Because when you start doing that, your life isn't about to struggle anymore. It's about Jesus. We have to, turn, we have to change that and turn that around. See, what I love about Joseph, his perspective never changed. It was always on God. When he was on top, it was all about God. When he was on the bottom, it was all about God. That's what kept him sane through all that. And some of y'all are growing crazy because of your circumstances. Some of y'all feel going to, looking at the checkbook and like, this don't make sense. I don't know what. We just, we, we, I don't know. I don't know where the money's going. I feel like my, my bag's got holes in it. I don't know what's going on. You're running yourself crazy trying to figure it out. Come on. Can anybody relate to me? God's working even when you feel stuck. See, sometimes we get stuck. When we get stuck, I think in my life, I realized that when I've been stuck, that's when God's been working on me the most. Because he's like, all right, Jeremy, you say you love me. You say you trust me. You say you believe in me. All right, what you going to do if I don't say nothing to you for a little while? And I'm like Moses. Lord, I don't want to go if you ain't going to go with me. I ain't smart enough to do this on my own. I don't, talk to me. Tell me. And then when he's not talking, I'm like, oh, did I do something messed up? Did I? But I've realized that in those times where I have been stuck, God has used those circumstances to make me want him more. So maybe you need to stop focusing on your situation right now and put your eyes on Jesus and say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this hard place I'm in right now? And I'm not trying to down your hard place. I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of it, I want to tell you, when somebody's telling you you need to get over your problems, you just want to tell them to shut up. Like, you won't know. You don't feel how I feel. You don't know how I feel right now. You better shut up and get behind me. I mean, I don't know how, what, I don't know how you do things. That's how I do things. You don't, because they, what they mean for encouragement, but you ain't ready to hear that. And some of you ain't ready to hear it this morning, but the reality is this, is that when we change our perspective and not make the circumstance about us, but we make it about God, he allows us to endure the, the circumstance. When we come out the other side, we see the good in it. Amen? That's the only way Joseph could continue through that. See, God may not change the circumstance, but he can change you in it. And God taught me a valuable lesson in that. I've, I've, I've shared... I've shared my testimony with you guys, but I'm, my testimony is me, so you're going to hear that a lot. But the thing is, is I remember when Sabrina and I were struggling in our marriage, and it's like, man, it'd get good, and then it'd be like, all right, I'm fitting to go end all this right now. And then it'd get bad. And, and so I, I, we were doing good. We're going back, going back and forth. And we, had, we had somebody uh, in our life at the time that was making my wife question my fidelity. I'm like, looking at you, I, I, I mean, you're my sweetheart. We've been together since, since high school. I mean, everybody else thought I was ugly, and you thought I was a prize. I mean, I ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Y'all missed that. Y'all should have been here last week. But and it's like, I, you know, I'm not going nowhere, and, and it made me mad. And I began to get mad. I was like, God, I mean, I didn't deserve this. It went on for two years. 
And I'm, and I'm getting bitter. I'm getting angry. And I was over there one day fixing to be like Chuck Norris. I was going to kick the door in and go in there and tell them what I thought. And I walked out the door full of mad, just full of anger. I walked outside, and God said, you got to love them. I'm like, man, get out of here with that. I'm going to go over here and take care of it. He's like, you got to love them. I was like, ah. And when I started praying for that person, God didn't change the circumstance, but he changed me through it because he taught me how to love people that were unlovable. And that never would have happened if I hadn't yielded to God and didn't turn the situation over to him. You know, I just want, I hope and pray that you guys get that, that not allowing the circumstances to make you. The next part is that how do you change your mindset is that you keep looking at Christ on the other side of it. You keep your eye on the prize, amen? That was Paul's whole ministry. He says, I consider everything else a loss but Christ to gain. He, he said, whatever it takes, I don't, I don't value anything else but Jesus. His eye, we wear those shirts. Stand up, Russ. The best is yet to come. I like that, man. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't pink. But we got to live with a whole perspective. It says the best is yet to come. When we realize that God's got the best made for your life, the best is yet to come. Amen? When we're focused on Christ, when we're focused on, on seeing the other side of the situation, when we're looking at the, situ the other side, man, I, I'm going to tell you, that's awesome. We, start, when I, we, we started swimming in the pond at the house, and it's a long way from one side to the other. And I had a bunch of these young teenagers with me, and they was like, Jeremy, I bet I can beat you to the other side. Like, you ain't going to beat me nowhere, boy. I will beat you down. I will pull you under before you beat me. We jump off the dock. We swim to the other side, and I come out the water, and I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I ain't going to make it. And the only way I made it to the other side is I had to keep looking to the ground. I keep looking for, that, for the other side. I get up, and I'm like, I'm a little closer. I go back under, thinking, oh, I'm going to die. I look up, and it's like, okay, it's a little bit closer. we got to keep our eyes on the prize, church. Because if you don't keep your eyes on the prize, you're going to drown in this world because you're just sitting there swimming in circles. you got to keep your eye on the prize. Keep looking for Christ in every circumstance. So how do we change our mindset? The last thing is we got to remember that God always delivers Circle it, underline it. God always delivers on his promises. Amen. Always. Verse 40, chapter 45. Oh, I love this. Joseph makes himself known. Verse 4 says this. 45, 4. says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done, when they did so, he said to them, I and your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save. <laughs> because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in this land. And for the next five, there will also be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for, the, for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by the great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of this entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back and tell your father and say to him, this is what Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near to me. You and your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, I will provide for you because five years of famine are still to come. 
Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be in destitute. See, what Joseph was doing is he was telling his brothers, remember that promise God gave me? Remember what I told you when I was 17 years old? You remember what I told you? Remember what I said God said he was going to do to me? And nobody, we didn't, you didn't understand it. No, I understand what God meant. But, but let me tell you, this is what God meant. And God was using me to save you. The only reason, the only way Joseph stayed true to that was he had to stay true to who he was in the Lord. Amen. And the only way, I'm telling you, all of you in this room, God's got a purpose for your life. God's got a plan for your life, but you've got to have your identity on him for him to use you. And there's people in your life that God has placed there that they will be in destitute if you don't get your junk together and focus your life on Christ. And if your identity is on Christ, then nothing else matters. God's always true to his word. You can read this thing and you can bank on it. Amen? That's why I love following Jesus. Because it's the only thing that's never let me down. Nothing is better than Jesus. And you can take that to the bank. See, Joseph was the savior for his people because he had his eyes on the prize. In the same way that Jesus is the savior for all of us. Jesus came, Jesus bled, Jesus did everything he did. It was a struggle. It wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. It was hard. Most of us would have quit. But you know what he saw on the other side? He saw you. He saw you. He's carrying his cross. And he's just struggling. He's, he looks up and he's, he don't see Calvary. He sees you. He sees you destined for hell. He sees you no way out. He sees you hopeless. He sees you wandering. He sees you in such a bad place that he just keeps going. He kept going. He kept pushing forward so that you would have the opportunity to choose life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the Savior that we all are trying. We're trying to, to be our own Savior and realizing that the only way we're going to be saved is that we submit to the Lordship of Jesus in our life. If we center our life on the gospel of Jesus, if we truly give him our life, not just show up to church, not just wear these pretty shirts, not just say that we are a follower of Christ, but actually be a follower of Christ. He did that because he saw you. And some of you are like, I thought you were supposed to free me from condemnation. Now I'm feeling condemned right now. Bring it to Jesus. Amen. You know, I'm going to close. I just want to tell you, you got to decide, all right? A lot of us are stuck, but you got to decide. Today, I'm done. I'm done with feeling like I'm less. I'm done with doing this. I'm, I'm done with letting, letting the past, I'm, I'm done with letting the addiction define me. I'm done allowing what my in-laws think of me to define me. I'm tired of worrying about what work defines me. I'm tired of allowing these things to define me, and I want peace. I want happiness. I'm tired of worrying about what people think about me. I'm tired of feeling less than what God made me. Amen? It's time for you today to decide that enough is enough and be so desperate enough to move. 
And the problem is the reason you're still struggling because you ain't made it to the bottom yet. You know, in Mark, speak Holy Spirit. You see, in Mark, there's a woman. Mark 5, there's a woman. But she's got this illness. And, and, and she's got this illness, and, there's, and, and you got to understand, it separated her. She had this issue of blood, it says. She was always bleeding. And so they had this issue, and, and, and in those days, if you bled, you were ceremonial, unclean. So you couldn't be around people. You couldn't partake. She couldn't even get in the presence of the people that were in the presence of God. She was like put outside, not just the church, but the town. I mean, she was way out. She felt hopeless. But then she heard Jesus was in town. And she was like, that's it. That's my ticket. That's the way that I get out of this destitute situation. That's the way that I get out of this, this, this problem I'm in. That's my way out is through Jesus. And she says, look, this is a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Anybody identify that? Say amen. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because, the, because she thought if I just touch him, touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from the suffering. Praise the Lord. And once Jesus realized the power had gone out for him, he turned around and said in the crowd, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him. Like you see the people in this crowd against you, disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who's touched me? The disciples are like, who are you kidding? Everybody's touching you. You know what? Nobody else's problems got solved but hers. You know why? Because she came to God with a sincere heart. She was desperate for a change. She was desperate for God to move. She was tired of feeling that way. She was desperate. And the problem, the reason you're not changing because you're not desperate for God. And I'm not angry. I'm just telling you, Lord, I wish that you would be desperate for Jesus. Because the crowd was there. The crowd comes to church every Sunday. Every Sunday there's a crowd here. But nobody gets touched because nobody's desperate. And God's going to change things in your life when you get so desperate for Jesus that you don't care what nobody else thinks. It's all about Him. And I can't make you have it. I can't inject you with it. You got to want it. But what are you stuck in? What, 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 what's, what's going on in your life? Can you be real with me today? Transparency kills hypocrisy. And it's time for us to be so desperate for God to change us that we're willing to do whatever he wants me to do in order to please him. And that is where we put our money where our mouth is, church. Maybe today you've been a part of the crowd for so long but you don't even know what it means to be to feel desperate. Maybe you need to really surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you really need to give your life to God. That's the first step for a lot of people. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life. I don't care about your attendance. I don't care about how much Bible you know. There's one thing to know the Bible. There's another thing to apply it to your life. 
So where are you at today? What was your heart saying? Do you truly know Jesus? Is he your savior? Is he your sanctifier? Is he your deliverer? Or is he just that man that you see in the crowd every week? Because if he's just that man in the crowd, then you don't know Jesus. And when you die, you will show up in hell and not in heaven. And the reality of this life is, it's all about Jesus. So is he your life? And if he's not your life, raise your hand so that we can celebrate and we can just, man, I just want to pray with you and, and, and just be, it's be awesome. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have that personal, passionate relationship with him, then raise your hand so we can celebrate with you. Amen, sister. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Ice is broke. Anybody else? This is your time. Amen, sister. Amen. 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 We can go all day. You know how? Amen. Amen. What's God telling you today? What is God telling you today? It's a day of the day for salvation for you. One more chance. One more opportunity. That's you. Raise your hand. So we can just, man, we can just celebrate with you. And pray with you and tell you what your next step is. And now we're fixing the clothes for sure now. I want to tell you the reason I get excited and the reason I shout and the reason some of y'all are like, is he mad? Is he upset? It's because I can tell you when I became so desperate, God changed me. I put up with the alcohol in my life. I tried to change my addiction. I tried to fix myself. But only when I got so desperate to please God is when he changed me. And I can tell you one thing, that I got on my knees and I fasted and I prayed, not because I wanted to be super spiritual, because there was no other way but him. And when I gave it to him, when I gave my issues to him, guess what he did? He healed me. He delivered me. And I had struggled with it since. The same thing. It's like I wanted him to change my mouth so I, didn't, I wasn't that, that Christian that, that cussed and was a, just like a sailor. That my mouth, that what I said represented what was in my heart. And when I prayed, I said, God changed it. This is changed. This is, this is holding me in bondage. I can't be the Christian you called me to be walking in this. Deliver me from it. And he did, praise Jesus only way out is that you have to be so desperate that you don't pardon my language but you don't give a crap what anybody else thinks and all you want is Jesus and the ball is in your court if you're stuck today the chain is available to pull you out you just gotta want it Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Only you know your heart. And God knows your heart better than you do. And I know right now some of your hearts are beating out of your chest because you, you just don't know what to do. I just pray that you take that first step and you acknowledge the problem. And you say, Lord, change my mindset today. Change me today. We're fixing to sing in just a second. I don't want you to look around. 
I don't want you to see anything. You just keep your eyes closed. If God's telling you to move, then you move. God wants a generation of people that are desperate for him. God wants a generation of people that are desperate for him to move. God wants a generation of people that are desperate to see him do amazing things in their lives so that other people can be made new through them. So I pray today that you're desperate enough to to step out and be real and squash the, the hypocrisy in your life. Father God, we come right now, boldly and unashamedly. God, just just calling upon you, Lord. I thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you break the chains, God, in our lives. That God, we be a generation of people that are so desperate for you, Lord. God, move in our hearts. God, change us, Lord. I pray, Father, we would come to a realization that there's no way out except you. So God, change us today. God, move on us today. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We praise you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. If God's moving in your heart, then move.